full time on KCL or with thanks to the full range of Volkswagen vehicles at La Hartz, the home of Volkswagen in Kilkenny, lahartzvolkswagen.ie. Welcome back to Full Time with myself, Sinead Kyo. As I said, we're going to have Eddie Brennan joining us in a couple of minutes' time just to talk through some of those results in the Allianz League. Uh, speaking of the Allianz League in Division 2A, Carlo uh, had a disappointing result there in uh, Netwatch, Dr Cullen Park, yesterday. And this is what uh, Tom Mullally, their manager, had to say. In patches, when we did well, we did well. And when we when we probably didn't, we allowed Kerry come into it a little bit too easy, maybe at, at times, you mean, and stuff that way. Two matches left, and all um, Kildare and Mead. Kildare is away, I believe. Mead is at home. Uh, someone else said it was away, but however, it's two games left. So, back to the wall a little bit. Ah, look, every every game is important to us. You mean we have a, we've got youngsters coming into the panel this year, into the team and stuff like that. So they're all important games. Um, the league in itself is is important to us. Um, we've obviously had a, between suspensions, between injuries and stuff like that. We'd, we'd we'd like to be picking from 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 a deck that would 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 suit the games that we're playing and stuff that way. You mean, but that's not to be. So I think we're ga- players are gaining experience and exposure to kind of to this level which is good for them like you know the hand has been clamped down on Sean clear referee today I'm not going to harbour on Sean but all referees are blowing it and Taggy said to me in commentary Kenny a few months ago that a lot of players throw it they seem to be getting into players at this level now and, and there's a lot of blows and frees and stoppages for illegal hand passes today what did you make of all that? Oh, look, you mean, I mean, like the hand pass is, is, is clearly defined. I think lads have probably got into the habit of throwing. So, I mean, if it's a throw, it's a throw. They'll probably just have to be careful. The referees don't don't assume it's a throw. You mean and stuff like that. That's probably the only. But I, I think overall, we, we we wouldn't have any complaints on today anyway. Yeah, and looking back now, Tom, the defeat in, in down uh, defeat today, but discipline a little bit of a problem. Another sending off today. I know referees have an opinion on that, but you know, lads getting involved and the whistle has gone. Something will have to be done there, I suppose. But Kerry could have had a player sent off before the Carlow man today, and you were probably a little bit aggrieved about that. Ah, look, we're not. I mean, I obviously have to. I mean, I, I, all, all we're looking for is consistency. It doesn't matter what that is because you can learn from consistency. I mean, and I've said this before. I mean, I mean, I don't mind. I mean, to be fair, if if it's if whatever the rules are, can as long as if they're going to apply them, apply them, and that's absolutely fine. There's no issue. I don't think. To, I mean, we could argue over small things today and stuff like that. I'm not sure. I, I didn't see what the sending off was for. So I, I commenting on it would be, would be purely unfair. I think to the referee and stuff like that. You know I mean, but as long as it's consistent, we don't. And I don't think. I don't think Sean Clear did. Did a did a overall that he was probably consistent enough in relation to what he was today. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no. so I wouldn't have any complaints that way. Uh, Sean Murphy, is that two matches? Is Sean due back now for the next game? And Marty, what's the position of Marty? A lot of people inquiring. Marty, I know has an injury. How far is he away from making a comeback? Oh, I would assume both of them should be fairly well. Sean's second game is up today, so Marty should be fine. I, I, I don't think it's just a, a precautionary thing today. That's all. Yeah, that was Tom Mullally there just speaking after Carlo's defeat to Kerry yesterday in uh, Division 2A of the Allianz League. Um, now, as I mentioned later on in the show, we're going to have Eddie Brennan uh, just kind of a look back on the, the results in the Allianz League at the weekend. Um, but earlier on, I actually spoke uh, to Karen Weeks. She's the first Irish woman um, to row solo across the Atlantic Ocean and she actually has a Carlo and a Kilkenny connection. Uh, so it was great to um, to speak to her uh, earlier on and this is um, this is my chat with uh, with Karen earlier well listen Karen first of all congratulations um, on a fantastic uh, achievement how are you feeling oh I'm feeling great now I, I feel my body's a bit sore and uh, just seeing it when I finished the row uh, just you know your mental um I think mentally during the row you look after your body and you just have to keep going and going and going so once I stopped 
then my body's just sort of gone, oh my God, and it's just, uh, it's just crashed. So it's just uh, stiff and sore, but uh, just having good recuperation here in Barbados at the moment. Oh, lovely. So you're actually over in Barbados at the moment, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in Barbados for another few days as well. So it's, it's great, lovely sunshine and turquoise water and white sands. Ah, lovely. Great place to get a bit of um, relaxation and rest anyway after after 80 days at sea. Um, and just kind of on that as well. 81 days. 81. Sorry, that one day is very <laughs> 81 important. 81 days. <laughs> um, and, and Karen, can you just kind of talk us through kind of the preparation that, that went into that to, to kind of go through that kind of a endurance test? Uh, yeah, well, it was for this uh, role. We actually, uh, interesting enough, uh, launched the promo for this role this time last year on the 24th of February. And uh, so, yeah, I've been tra- training longer than that. And I knew it was happening before that. But uh, yeah, so I bought the boat in March. It's a, it's a specific ocean rowing boat. I bought the boat last March. So I was training in that. And then also I have a gym at home. So I was doing... Um, weights and uh, rowing machine and bike and I do a lot of mountain biking myself so I was doing a lot of cross training and mixed training in the gym and a lot of weight strength and conditioning and uh, then just building up the endurance and then once I got on the water here I was just building up the hours as I went on and ultimately I was doing really regularly about probably 14 hours a day from 15, 16, 17 hours a day rowing you know so it was quite intense and quite physical. Yeah, and so that was from last March, did you say, that you, the kind of preparations began? Uh, well, the preparations really began before that, I suppose, uh, probably just over a year, a year and a half. All right, okay. And uh, can you tell us a little bit, I know that you had like a, a team behind you as well, can you tell us a little bit about that and the logistics kind of going on in the background? Uh, yeah, so the team, I have an amazing team behind me and um, they're all good friends of mine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, they did uh, like on the on the water itself. I was totally on my own. I didn't have a support boat or a support vessel or anything like that. So just on land, I did have support in that. Um, you know, there was still logistics to keep. She can do, which is our campaign. She can do twenty twenty one. So there was a lot of people interested, and the following followers and the people who wanted interviews and the people who wanted this, that, the other. It just. It has gone berserk. So having the having the crew at home was brilliant to manage that and manage getting the Millie, my boat, it's named after my mum, uh, manage getting the boat shipped back to Ireland and, you know, sort of more of the logistical stuff and selling merchandise and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, the, the team at home was really, really incredible. And were they able to kind of track where you were at any given time and, and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think we had about uh, 7,000 or 8,000 people tracking me the whole way across. So, yeah, I had a tracker on the boat all the time. So there was, I think there was actually over, there was probably more than 8,000 people tracking me. But, uh, yeah, so people could see exactly where I was and what what uh, speed I was doing, what direction I was doing. And, yeah, so there was a lot of people following me the whole way across. And I suppose, yeah, like you said there that there was people kind of tracking you and that must give you some peace of mind, you know, or some sort of um, just that element of kind of safety, knowing that there are people tracking you along the way. But at the same time, you are on your own in the boat. So it must have been, you must have had moments of um, like, you know, feeling lonely, feeling scared, I'm sure, um, over the course of the, the, the 81 days. Uh, 
yeah, I like yeah, it was great <clears throat> having the people tracking me and uh, like there was one time I got caught in a microstorm and the boat just took off in various directions, sort of going around in circles a bit and some people thought I'd really lost the plot altogether or gone unconscious or something. But um yeah, it was it was good that people could track it. Um initially it probably put a bit of mental pressure on me because I was thinking, Oh my god, they can see that I'm stopping now or they can see that I'm going slowly or but after a week or two I didn't give a rattler, you know. It, it just I knew I just was going at the pace I could go at and if I was going fast or slow, that was just it was purely just uh, making sure that I was getting a steady uh, steady row and steady pace across uh, the Atlantic. But um, yeah, there was a lot of times I, I got a lot of high winds and got a few storms. I got a lot of big seas, got some calms, which were very hard mentally. And uh, so I got every condition that was going. And I think one of the, the most challenging things about it is usually when you uh, cross the Atlantic, um, the trade winds kick in in around January, which are <clears throat> winds that will hoosh you over to the west, you know, to Barbados or Antigua, anywhere in the West Indies, really. But they didn't kick in this year. It's an El Nino year, so they didn't kick in. So it was much, much harder this year. And other rowers that were going to Antigua, they found it very hard as well, in that um, you just really had to row every stroke. And the wind and the wave train, so this dominant wave train, was coming from the northeast, northwest first of all, and then over to the northeast. So it was pushing me south all the time. So if you go on the she can do 2021.org website, you'll see where the tracker moved. Um, you can see the completion of the full curve. But uh, I actually was pointing west the whole time, and you can see that I've done sort of a. a a curve that has brought me to Barbados alright but it took a lot of work to make that curve work even though the boat was pointing west all the time you know Yeah and were, were there any times Karen that you thought wow well, I could be in real danger here or did you always kind of just have trust in yourself trust in your team that that everything would be okay uh, Yeah there was a few serious moments for sure um, I had full faith in the boat so the boat is an ocean rowing boat and uh, I trusted the boat Totally, and like in storms and in big seas, all I did was just, you shut the cabin hatch and lock yourself into the cabin. And if the boat does capsize, which it didn't, thankfully, but if the boat does capsize, then it should it's self rising, so it should come straight back up, and um, you should be in a watertight compartment. And uh, yeah, so I trusted her, and in the tougher times, yeah, I'd um, just hop into the cabin and deploy a thing called a para anchor, which is like a big parachute. And that just holds the front of the boat up into the wind and it sort of stalls you in the water, you know? All right, okay. Um, and just I know that you have a, you have a, your background is in sports psychology as well, so I'm sure that came into play on a couple of occasions. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've worked with a lot of solo rowers too as a sports psychologist and so I know what they've gone through and, yeah, just going through it myself, like I... I had stuff that I was uh, I'd rehearsed mentally re- mentally rehearsed before like Thunder Lightning managing that managing big seas and stuff so yeah all that definitely helped uh, during the course of the journey You have a connection to Kilkenny do you? Uh, yeah, I lived in Kilkenny for a few years. I went to Kilkenny College actually as well. And then um, my parents lived in Bennett's Bridge for a long, long time. Uh, they're both gone now, but the boat is named after my mum actually, Millie Weeks. But um, yeah, so that, that's the connection with Kilkenny. I have a sister, Linda. Linda still lives in Bennett's Bridge. And um, 
Yeah, my parents are both buried in Kilkenny, so yeah, I have a connection with Kilkenny and uh, I really enjoy getting back up there when I can. You know, I don't get up there as much as I used to when my parents were alive, but um, it's such a beautiful city for sure. Yeah, uh, you mentioned, um, Karen, a few times there, the She Can Do campaign. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that campaign and, and why you chose to get involved with it? Basically, the philosophy behind it is... Number one, to try and encourage uh, women and girls to participate in adventure sports. And uh, secondly, to try and encourage females and males, uh, females primarily, but males as well, obviously, uh, just to try and push themselves out of their comfort zones and just try and do something that they might have done before. And it doesn't necessarily have to be sports related, but something that will, I suppose, make them mentally more healthy and just give them another interest rather than sitting down on the couch watching TV. And um, we've set up a lot of videos for that and a lot of uh, like I have updates all the way through the campaign that hopefully would help people, um, uh, you know, just get involved and try and some, try and do something that they're um, that they haven't tried before. And then the second part of that is the ocean conservation sustainability. So just trying to promote uh, p- cleaner oceans, cleaner seas, and um, just uh, making people aware of the microplastics that are out in the ocean. You know. Yeah, and, and like I really admire what you're doing with the She Can Do campaign as well because it really is so important, isn't it, for young girls to have role models in sport and um, just, you know, that the saying, like you have to see it to be it. I think it's it's definitely true. Oh, it's massively important. And I think for people like... Um uh, like good while ago, you know, people used to uh, read. I used to read Dervla Murphy's book, you know, from Lismore, and then um, she uh, she cycled from Lismore to uh, India, and like even people like Dervla Murphy, I think, have influenced people. But also, uh, yeah, the Rachel Blackmores and the Kelly Harringtons and Katie Taylors and everything are incredible. But uh, when I was trying to, I, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, I cycled across Canada from Vancouver over to Halifax, um, solo and unsupported there, 4,000 miles. And I, when I was looking up uh, other people, other girls who had done it, there was plenty of guys, but other solo girls that had done it, there wasn't many. There was none, actually. There was one girl who cycled around the world. And um, I just thought I'd relate better to a girl and a female and um, just to you know because you're sleeping outside with bears around you and you're sleeping um, you know you're sleeping in weird conditions in forests and stuff like that and a girl on her own I think is slightly like guys are generally stronger and faster and that sort of stuff and so I just I really that really struck a chord with me in that yeah you're dead right in what you say if you can't see it you can't be it and I think that if a girl and I genuinely am blown away by the amount of girls and kids and paintings I've got uh, the kids have done and from uh, boys and girls and they're doing something else or they're hopefully getting inspired and getting a lot of messages of people who are doing things that they wouldn't have done before so that's magic for me that makes the campaign so worthwhile and like the campaign is still going and it has been She Can Do 2021 but um what we'll do now is we'll change it to She Can Do and we will keep it going. Um, I'm not sure exactly in what form yet, but uh, watch this space. Yeah, <laughs> oh, great. It's it's great to see campaigns like that get underway because they do make a huge difference. Even the 2020, 20 by 20 campaign as well um, was, a, was a great success. Um, just one other thing I, I wanted mm. to ask it as well, Karen, because I think people are always really interested in kind of what you eat when you undertake um, a voyage like this. Uh, so just kind of in terms of 
like meals then when you're on the boat or, or um, just how you were fueling your body. Can you just talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of rehydrated food. And thank God I don't have to eat any more of that anymore. <laughs> I had, uh, I had uh, basically the plan I had was um, I'd have three rehydrated meals a day. Each one of those was 800 calories. So that's 2,400 calories. And I needed about five, five and a half thousand calories a day. So uh, I found it very hard to eat three of them a day now, to be honest. So I usually, that ended up being two. So I was still short of calories, but the other calories had been made up by protein bars and cliff bars and snacks that I like and, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, so I, I did eat that, but it was very samey, samey, you know, for 81 days. And then I was really conscious of uh, hydrating myself properly. So I had uh, really high caliber isotonic drinks as well. And I, if I don't see an isotonic drink for another six months, I'd be very, very happy. I can imagine. <laughs> but it did serve us. It did serve its purpose when I was out there, but I uh, got my sister to get me an electric toothbrush because I'd say my teeth would be going rotten for all the isotonic drink I'd been drinking. <laughs> so now that, but it's good, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, and now that you're kind of just um, now back to normal and kind of back to eating normal foods and stuff again, but you probably have to take your time about kind of um, like the speed or the pace at which you're kind of getting back to your, your normal everyday foods, do you? Actually, I don't. And everybody keeps asking me that, but it doesn't seem to be affecting me that way. Like last night I had a steak and uh, the night before I had chicken and fish. And uh, No, it, it actually doesn't seem to be affecting me, which is incredible. And yeah, because my stomach has definitely shrunk and I've lost a bit of weight and stuff. But um, no, so far so good. Yeah. Washing it down with a cool beer might be helping, you know. Ah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> you get to celebrate then. That's good. Um, well, listen, Karen, yeah. congratulations again. It's a phenomenal achievement. Uh, so well done. And we're delighted that you have that little bit of a, a Kilkenny uh, and Carlo connection as well. So thanks so much for, for joining us on Full Time today. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll chat to you again soon. OK. And come here. thanks a million for having me. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a million. Thanks so much, Karen. Full time on KCLOR. With thanks to the full range of Volkswagen vehicles at La Hearts, the home of Volkswagen in Kilkenny, LaHartsVolkswagen.ie. Welcome back to Full Time with myself, Sinead Kyo. Now, as promised, uh, just before the break, we are joined now by Eddie Brennan, um, former Kilkenny hurler and eight-time All-Ireland winner. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on the show today, Eddie. How are you doing? Not too bad at all, Sinead. Good evening. Good. Um, so, Eddie, you've been. I'm sure you were watching the, all the the Alliance League matches there over over the weekend. What was your impression, though, of uh, of Kilkenny? I suppose that I didn't get to see the Kilkenny match. Unfortunately, um, I wasn't around and was watching matches on television. But you know, you're just kind of scooting through the, the reports, and you'd say, look, it was a result that was expected of Kilkenny. Um, you'd say the the job done. You know, they they needed to probably get the score and average up a little bit too. You know, with the height of respect to each, but you know, at home you would expect that from Kilkenny. Um, there was a good spread of scores, and I suppose the the thing that maybe jumped out was, you know, Tom Feeling got in for for two good goals, two really good goals. There, there seems to have been a bit of cohesiveness about the Kilkenny attack, and you know, I was up at the the match in Torres, uh two weeks ago, and you know, I was I was impressed with Tom Feeling's endeavour. I suppose he, you know, he was playing maybe his first couple of matches and uh, you know I, I liked what you see with him I think he gives you something different he's a very very athletic fella he has speed and he has huge skill so look that was the positive but you'd say overall it was a job well done 
you know, still no Ballyhale lads there. So all in all, you'd have to be happy with that. It was probably two points that we needed to get and a little confidence boost going into this Saturday evening. Yeah, I, like as you said there, it's kind of job done. But I suppose when you're matches like that, you don't really learn a whole lot from them, do you? Um, maybe not, but I suppose where Kilkenny sit at the moment, it's 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 um, it's getting guys playing together. It's getting a little bit of understanding, you know, to to deepen that understanding of each other's play. Uh, to get maybe you know to to have a go in some ways and and know that well. There's not huge, you know, consequences in in terms of you know what we're about because obviously the league is important. Kilkenny will always take it seriously, but in the overall scheme of things, you know, the championship is so close now. I think it's definitely it's definitely an opportunity to try a few guys and give them a bit of prolonged game time, like and you know not to have that pressure of you know there'll always be pressure with you know with Brian Cody he will expect high standards of the guys, but it's probably an opportunity for to. You know, to to give lads a bit more game time, like you take even you know Mikey Carey, Niall Brazel, David Blanchfield, you know, in the backs and that. So they're just spending more time together. They're they're, they're getting a bit more understanding of each other's play, and hopefully build a bit of confidence because uh, there's a huge test awaiting them on Saturday night. Yeah, like you mentioned it there, there's a, a massive test awaiting them on Saturday um, in Dublin, and it's going to be in Parle- Parnell Park as well. Um, Dublin are having they're, they're on fire really at the moment, aren't they? And I don't think I think that people may have underestimated um, Dublin in, in advance of the league campaign, but they're 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 playing a stormer at the minute. They are, and um, you know I think what you're seeing with Matthew Kenny is maybe the last year or two was a little bit indifferent. But what you're seeing is now he's really bringing them together. So is it the culmination of four years under Matty Kenny? You know, I think he has a core bunch of lads. He he probably after year one, I think he transitioned and invested in in new guys a little bit, and they're probably stepping up now and they're they're taking on leadership roles. Whereas you know you had your Keenies and 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 Liam Rush and guys like that were you know seen as your more experienced fellas. But there's definitely a breed of new fellas and, and I think, you know, the one guy that has really impressed me over the last couple of seasons and I had question marks over him, but Danny Sutcliffe has really, really grown into a fine player. He is a good, you know, he was a good captain the last couple of years. He's obviously not captain this year, but I think that maybe will free him up to get a little bit more out of him. But they have a good balance about him. Um, it's gas, you know, we'd have said we all possibly thought they wouldn't have done what they'd done to Wexford in that Walsh Cup final, but I think that that performance and how comprehensive it was has really flown under the radar a little bit because Wexford had a decent team out that night and we look at where Wexford form is at now. So Dublin are in a really good place and I think with the championship coming close, it's going to be um, a a really doggy dog Leinster campaign. Yeah, definitely. And just to kind of go back to uh, to yesterday's match, just because I know with your leash background and having managed leash, leash, um, just looking at the the match yesterday, they seem to have regressed a little bit. It was kind of a lackluster performance from Leash, um, and they de- they definitely kind of seemed to drop the heads uh, quite early on in the game. But I suppose after the de- defeat that they suffered um, at the hands of of Waterford, maybe that was to be expected. But what what are your thoughts kind of on Leash at the moment? Yeah, it's it's hard to know. I think you know. You, I, I'd like to see them, you know, kicking on. You, you, you know, you, you just want to see them progressing because, from an overall hurling perspective and a Leinster hurling perspective, I think we could really do with with Leash and Offaly, you know, making strides to close those gaps. 
But yeah, it's probably a, f- a fair point. I mean, I, I felt a couple of weeks ago, Leash were really going to Watford and it was going to be a big match for them to to hold Watford. But I definitely didn't think Watford would probably put the scoreline that they did put on him. And I suppose what that does really for a group that are, you know, trying to make strides in that and, and build on, you know, because they did have a really good year last year too, to be fair. You know, they nearly took out Watford uh, in the championship in Nolan Park. But it just puts a few little question marks on it. And again, look, you had three or four guys that, you know, stepped away from the group at the start of the year for, for a variety of reasons. And unfortunately, look, for, for, for Cheddar and for Leach Hurling as a whole, you know, if you're trying to build a bit of continuity there, you know, you just have to have the best 35 hurlers in the county available to you. And, and unfortunately, that is something that just, you know, I experienced it there. And it just isn't, you know, being put to bed as such. And look, guys, maybe for different reasons, they opt out. But it is disappointing to see because some of the guys that left the left are are quality and and they do need them all. But uh, you'd be hoping, look, that they they can get a, a result or two. It looks like the the answer match at the end of the at the end of the league is going to be the the, the dogfight for survival. Yeah, and just kind of, I suppose, like I, I felt for them yesterday as well. Like there was a very poor attendance at uh, Nolan Park yesterday, and um, very few uh, leash supporters down at that game as well. And even any time that they scored, there was kind of no no reaction really. There were so few of them, yeah. so it's hard. It's hard to perform kind of under those circumstances. Ah, it is. Look, and 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 you know, from my experience there, you you, you knew you need you know you need good support and. You need everybody, you know, putting their shoulders to the wheel, and 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 that was the one thing I'd have to say. Look, you know, we had good support, you know, during that time, and and you'd be hoping, look, that they stay the course and stick at it, and 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 again, you know, keep building, and you know, uh, underage side of it, and it's trying to get everything right, and that's not easy when you're trying to make a breakthrough because you do need to take a big scalp every now and again. You do need to get consistency into your performance and. You know, I think last year after a very disappointing first match, I think, you know, they rebounded very, very well through the back door. And that would have definitely given, you know, I suppose Leeds Hurling people and Hurling in general renewed hope for them this year. They look, they're in a good place maybe to get a couple of matches in the Leinster campaign. But this is a Leinster campaign now that is going to be seriously competitive. And I don't know where, you know, there's no easy game there for them uh, looking down the tracks. Yeah, I, I know you mentioned there as well, kind of um, how competitive Leinster uh, appears to be at the moment. Anyway, given uh, Wexford's form, and I know we mentioned Dublin there as well, but just just on Wexford, um, they're they're unbeaten in the league so far. What's your impression of them? And now I know you did mention the Walsh Cup, and they um, they got a fair beating there by uh, at the hands of of Dublin, but uh, doing well in the league. Yeah, they did. They had a really good performance. I, I watched that match yesterday from start to finish, and you'd have to say they they look they look good. They look like a team that just, I think, you know, you, you maybe get that equally for Galway. You have a new management team, so you get a bit of a bounce out of that. And I think, from what I understand, Darry Egan is really encouraging them to go and hurl. I mean, they have the experience and the fitness in the bank over the last number of years. So, you know, they're probably playing with a bit of freshness now this year and, and I think Dara has even probably, you know, encouraged them to go to go and hurl to their ability and I think you're seeing that. Uh I think Rory O'Connor is, is you know, has been for a while but he has really matured into a fine player and uh he, he puts in the hard yards, which is probably the most important thing, but he's he's chipping in with three and four points every match. 
Um, I think they've found a few new players as well. So, um, looking for, from with the with the black and amber tinted glasses, um, we're facing into you know a tough Leinster campaign. But you know that's going to bring it over because uh, as you said there, we have to we have to go to Galway, we have Dublin, we have Wexford, and you know Leash then in Westmead after that. So. Uh, it's going to be a fierce uh, slog, and, and there's definitely no gimmies there. And especially with you know what will be seen as the perceived stronger trio in that, um, you know, victories are going to be hard fought and hard won. Yeah, definitely. And I just kind of one last question then, um, Brady, um, Eddie, just uh, with Limerick. Then I suppose Wexford have had three wins in a row, but then in complete contrast to that, then Limerick suffered their third loss in a row uh, yesterday to Cork. Do you think that John Kiley will he be concerned at all, or is he just kind of have will he just have his eye on, eyes on championship? Um, it's hard to know because I think. The, the manner of the performances maybe you know I think what you don't want to do in his position is let bad habits creep in and you know sometimes those little bad habits are only they're only small little things that start to happen but they build if you don't kind of nip them at the bud so I'd imagine John Kiley would be keen to just get the lads back trashing I suppose when you look at their teams he's putting out three and four new guys every day he's rotating some of his more senior guys so Limerick still haven't put, you know, their strongest team on the table on on a field. But I think what you're seeing also too is that certain players are really, really critical to Limerick. You know, Keane Lynch just didn't look himself at all. I mean, he's coming out of a, a Fitzgibbon campaign, so there might be a level of little bit of a hangover for him there in his performance yesterday. And they will obviously be different animals come championship. But um, I think John Kiley, he won't be pressing the panic button just yet. I don't think he'll be, you know tearing out his hair or, or trying to rewrite the script or anything like that I think they will still look at getting a block of two or three weeks before championship among themselves I think the league is as he would see it anyway I think which or whether I don't think he'd have been overly concerned with it but I do think that he will be very very keen to get you know a couple of good strong internal matches going and get his best 15 back on the pitch and obviously look Peter Casey looks like he's out for the season for him unfortunately but I think we're probably seeing the value of one or two of these guys that there are certain guys on that Limerick team and if they're not there, um, you're looking at, obviously, you know, you, you need your best guys on the pitch. But definitely they're not as, you know, they might be seen as being as invincible as everyone maybe thought they were up to now, but still put their best 15 on the pitch, they're going to be a different animal. Yeah, it'll be interesting now to see how things unfold over the, the, the next couple of weeks, especially from a Kilkenny perspective as well. Um, well, listen, um, Eddie, thanks so much for, for taking the call today and sure, hopefully we'll be chatting to you again um, in, in a couple of weeks' time. No bother at all, Sinead. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. Um, so that was Eddie Brennan there, eight-time All-Ireland winner. We're going to take a quick break now and coming up after the break, we're going to be speaking to Teresa Aylward. She's the Kilkenny Camogie Chair. Full-time on KCLOR. With thanks to the full range of Volkswagen vehicles at La Hartz, the home of Volkswagen in Kilkenny, lahartzvolkswagen.ie. 
Welcome back to Full Time with myself, Sinead Kyo. You just heard from Eddie Brennan there just before the break. And now on the line, I have uh, Teresa Aylward. Teresa is the Kilkenny Camogie Chair. Um, and we're just going to be discussing now the proposal to merge the LGFA, the Camogie Association and the GAA. Uh, Teresa, it's garnered a lot of support um, at the, the GAA Congress at the weekend. What are your thoughts on the coming together of the three organisations? Hi, Sinead, yeah. Sinead, yeah, I think actually it's a good idea. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's a step in the right direction. A lot of us are probably, who have played back in the day have had the experiences of playing with a club. I mean, probably the biggest difficulty we would have growing up was a lot of facilities. Clubs only had one facility, one pitch, and you would turn up for training on nights. And even you're hearing the stories now coming more and more from players where if you turned up at a pitch and there was GA hurling on or whatever yeah your training is cancelled or you can't choose the facilities so I think a joined up thinking across the board for the three associations would be brilliant to be a step in the right direction Yeah I'm, I'm already saying that there's no like there's no merger that has been agreed on as of yet it's more so kind of that all parties yeah. are, are kind of open to discussion it's, it hasn't actually been agreed yeah. on yeah, no, back in, in 2016, there was a memorandum of understanding push in place where to put the idea of one club out there. And, and I, it was really kind of more filtered down to the clubs to try and see what it work on the ground level for clubs and see what to take it on. And it was nearly almost, I say, a test, you know what I mean? But a lot of clubs have taken it on and, and it is working. Um, I see our, our own club are doing it where we have girls over there playing Gaelic football, Camogie, and boys, obviously, the GA and the football. And I understand at the moment there is, you know, a separate registration for football, separate registration for the Camogie, the boys. The boys obviously have the football and the um, the hurling in the, in the one. But um, the girls, again, have to pay separate insurance and separate um insurance funds for the, the football girls have the players injury scheme the Camogie girls have their own personal action scheme uh, you know and there's just it's very varied across the board if we had joined up thinking and we're all paying into the same scheme and the same memberships it, it makes more sense but um, and the same families are going over and using the same facilities in the clubs and um, yeah I mean it, it's working for our club uh, we all pay into the one membership and we all joined up with the GAA and our memberships and our registrations and our insurances are paid from that fund and I know a lot of other clubs over particularly in, in the last in the last year have taken on in their ADM taken on um the, the, the joined up thinking of, of one club and yes yeah, hopefully it seems to be working well for them anyway at the moment. Yeah, like I suppose like logic would tell you that uh, the three of them coming together that it would be um yeah. it would be a good yeah. thing and like that they would be stronger together. But do you think, Teresa, yeah. that there's any hesitation at all there that, you know, maybe by yeah. joining up with the GAA and the Ladies Gaelic Football Association mm-hmm. that they the Camogie Association yeah. might lose some of their autonomy is have you heard anyone yeah. saying that maybe you know, they, they don't want to necessarily um join up with the, the other two associations? Yeah, not overly negative. More the bigger point is try not to lose their identities. Um, yes, certainly it probably makes sense to join up, but still to be identified with your own your own your own game. The other way, the camogie game, like there is variation in rules. It's not exactly the same as hurling, so we're almost there as well. And the same with the ladies' football. Ladies' football probably are a little bit ahead of the camogie, and they've made more strides really in their media and in the promotion of the game. And they've you know gained a lot more um, cover. Yeah, I would say media coverage than camogie has the last few years. And they have built up their own identity and their own sponsors. And I think the, the biggest issue probably will be sorting out, I think, anyway, finances. That's where um, the biggest breakdown will be. But I think if clubs can do it, if, if clubs can get it going, I mean, you know, really, um, 
I, I think it can be done, but it's just to get the right structures in place to, to, to you know to bring it forward. That's where the, the question is going to be. But uh, yeah, I think it, it would be better for the girls all around, you know, and and for the GAA as well all around because there's a, it's the same families, it's the same supports, uh, you know, and you know I think it's better all around if it, if it we're all the one the one club under one umbrella. Yeah, definitely. And do you think that, um, I suppose, has it, is the reason why it's garnered so, so much support? Is it reflective of where we are maybe in society at the moment in terms of creating more equality, uh, for, for women, not just in a sporting context, but generally? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think it's a culture change probably needs to be looked at as well with regard to women's sport. I mean, you would have known over the years, probably as, as we were growing up, it was all you would see on television probably would be the male sports and attendance at matches. Yeah, definitely would all be going to the hurling matches. But would anybody think twice about going to a camogie match? Possibly not, unless you were playing. So as a culture and as, as families and our communities, we kind of just need to probably stop and think, yeah, for bringing the, the children to a hurling match, well, why don't we go to the camogie match next weekend? And and even for the girls even to try and get the better venues for to love you if the fixtures were done in such a way that right this weekend we have Nolan Park for the hurlers and next weekend we have Nolan Park for the camogie players and that there's not a clash of fixtures and the grounds are available you know um, whether it's a camogie match or a hurling match so it's a culture change I mean people need to start bringing their families to the girls games as well as they've always brought them to the men's games you know so it's just something that needs to be looked at as a whole I think yeah, and it is, you know, and, and the 2020 kind of idea back and did help that as well. And I think our coverage, our, our online streaming over COVID to a sense has brought the game more into houses and all the rest over COVID because people couldn't go to games, but they were actually started watching it. And I definitely would say our attendance were up after COVID at games. Um, but actually people stop and look and look at the female game and look at the effort and the training the girls put in. They'll appreciate that. Gosh, you know, girls are well capable of, of playing the game to a high level as well. And, you know, to do put in the work and it's lovely to get them acknowledged and, and get them, get them on the television and, and online and let people see how good they are and how good they can be. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's exciting to see what's going to happen. Well, listen, thanks so much for that, uh, Teresa, and hopefully we'll yeah. um, we'll be chatting to you again soon. Thanks so much for joining okay, us on okay. the show. Thanks, thanks Thank you. Thanks, all right. Bye, Thank bye, bye. Um, well, that's just about all that we have time for uh, on the show today. Uh, don't forget, you can listen back to this show wherever you get your podcast by searching Full Time. Uh, you can also listen back to our flag- flagship uh, sports show Scoreline uh, on the Scoreline website or on any of the streaming apps. Um, and don't forget that the show is broadcast every Saturday and Sunday from 6pm as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, I've been Sinead Kyo and this has been Full Time. Look after yourselves and I'll chat to you again next week. Full time on KCLOR. With thanks to the full range of Volkswagen vehicles at La Hearts, the home of Volkswagen in Kilkenny, Lahartsvolkswagen.ie.